Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine is Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or um, Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. Welcome to our SEC West preview today on the show. Cole Kubelik will be our guest. We're going to talk with him about every team in the SEC West. You're going to get Aaron and I's thoughts and takes on all the teams in the SEC West. One, all of them, every seven of them, every seven of them. Is that correct? All, all seven, seven? Of, all seven of them. Every, every seven, of, seven them. of them. Every seven damn team in the West. We're going to talk about them. Talk about your schedule. All right. Also, of course, we have to discuss LSU and Les Miles a little bit more in detail here on the front end. However, Fringe Element, as a reminder, is brought to you by Jaspers. Jaspers. Stole your line. Go to Jaspers, of course. Fantastic uh, menu, elevated food, tremendous atmosphere, all the good vibes. I was out drinking a beer on the patio last weekend. It was wonderful. Uh, free parking, great place to hang out. Obviously, with, with the SEC tournament this week, a great place to sit down, you know, about 11 a.m., watch basketball the entire day, mm -hmm. uh, all weekend. And then, of course, with the big tournament coming up next weekend, you can do all kinds of wonderful stuff. They've got uh, the weekly rundown, which is their happy hour every day. We're going to go over that in just a little bit later on. So just, just stay tuned for that because they just launched this bad boy. Uh, and they got a lot of good deals for you guys out there. So, so check it out. Go to Jasper's, right? Yep. I went on Monday and my, well, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it, but it was, I had a wine flight. It was delectable. So, you know how like media companies put together like fight night, they have flight night at Jasper's, which is tremendous. So yeah. And it was like a well poured, like four like wine flight and you can do rosé or red or white. I did all four red because that I, I'm a red wine fan, but so all right, let's get this part out of the way first let's be do it. because it's just, it's just, it, I, I hate that. It's so not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. It's so not surprising. Um, the what do you call breaking news that you like you, I won't say we're expecting, but like, is it even breaking? It's just like more disappointing news. It's, it's sprained news. It's torn news. <laughs> it's a pole. It's pulled news. I don't know. Um, minor fracture. Not I, I minor. The details of Les Miles' behavior at LSU is is definitely a little shocking. Now, I do think it's important, and I'm going to give you all the space you want here to run, Aaron. But um, seeing as how you're the woman on the show, <laughs> on this show, I I personally don't understand how not being allowed to be alone in a room with a woman is something that is on the table from a discipline standpoint. That that's sort of what's confusing to me. If you're the highest paid employee in the state and you are not allowed to be alone in a room with a woman at your place of work, why are you employed there? Because that to me is not a punishment. It should not be on the table. Like it's just not an option to me. And, and this is nothing to say about all the actual criminal behavior that LSU has conducted outside of Les Miles. I just am not that surprised, Aaron. This can happen to every school in the SEC and it, 67 football employees, one Title IX employee. Our priorities are fucking out of whack. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is when you when you phrase it like that, and I have the same thought of, you know, a punishment should not be you not being allowed because of lack of trust to be alone in a room with a female. I and if that is rule has been put into place, we have already really missed the mark. <laughs> <laughs> and also, and this is me, a lot of it, I'm sure that 
when I, being in an athletic department and by the time I left there, I was the a director underneath an associate AD. So, you know, I was kind of empowered and maybe some of that comes to just personality anyway of like the, you know, I will call people out, but I had a lot more job security than like an, like an intern, like even <laughs> I'd be mad at somebody, you know, putting that in place for me, even though I'm not worried about myself, you know, in terms of like, you know, my job security, but you do that to an intern. Like they don't need, like, I just, it's like, what do we even say anymore? You know, yeah. like what, it, there's nothing left to say. Like, let's just yeah. fix this. Yeah. It's the, well, it's, there's like a larger societal issue with the Y chromosome, number one, which is just thousands of years of misogynistic behavior that needs to be adjusted somehow, some way. Uh, it, it just takes time and it takes people doing the right thing. Um, number the, the bigger issue for college football is that college football when you have 67 employees on the football staff and one in the title nine office where the football coach has complete and utter discretion over everything, zero accountability. And this is not just an LSU problem. This is a problem with every school in the sec. It's a problem with every program, college, baseball, basketball, football, whatever in the country it is, it is designed to fail. It is designed to fail when there is no transparency and no accountability. It is designed to create this type of corruption. And until we solve the, the transparency problem, and, and force these things out of the power, out of the control of the football coach, Baylor will still happen. LSU will happen. Joe Paterno in Penn State is going to happen. Jameis Winston at Florida State can, is going to happen. Zach Smith at Ohio State is going to happen. And until we fundamentally change how we hold people accountable, it, it's not going to get fixed. It, I, I mean, it's just, it, like you said, I don't know what else to say. I, I will, and I kind of want to ask you this. Okay. Les Miles, to me, is done a lot of creepy, douchey shit. It's not criminal. It's fireable, but it's not criminal. You can't go to jail for, you know, being creepy at the office. You can get fired and should be fired. And it should be on your res your record or whatever. But you can't go to jail. Like, if a woman is being beaten over and over and over again, like some of the girls at LSU were, and it's been covered up, that to me is criminal behavior. Someone should go to prison for that. So while I want to rip on Les Miles and, and, and point fingers at Les Miles, I personally have a bigger issue with the LSU problem writ large. Is that, is that, am I wrong for thinking that? Is that the right way to think about it? Should I, should I, you know, I think they're separate conversations. Yeah. But your thought process is correct because as a whole, if you, you know, we know you care about winning. Everybody does. Now, some people take it to a more extreme measure than others and are unwilling to do things that would maybe potentially put, you know, bring some chaos to their coaching situation or their staff situation because they do want to follow the rules. But are you following the rules so you don't get caught? Are you following the rules because you want to create an environment that is healthy for your student athletes, your staff, your coaching staff, and everybody in between? A lot of that does trickle down with tolerance from the top in terms of administration. What are you letting get people get away with? But also like the like as a head coach, if you not only are doing things, but even letting things get past you. So letting things get past you is bad enough because then you've given everybody silent permission, every position coach, every other intern, the equipment staff, everybody all the way through, you're giving them permission to like, no, nah, just be careful. Don't let anybody know, delete that text, sweep it under the rug. You have to have somebody that shows up. And I will say, of course, my direct experience most recently was with Derek Mason, but that is like, I mean, 
from my experience, there was outward, you know, lashback if somebody was made to feel uncomfortable in my experience there. If, you know, and I don't know, you know, there's probably things that none of us see. There's things that go on in athletic departments that, you know, it's only some people know about, but people were called out like in the, if like, I'll see you in my office. Like it just, it was, there was more of a culture of like, if you're messing with our environment, you're on the chopping block. So I just, I think it trickles down from the top, but the head coach has a lot of pull. So LSU at large right now is the problem. And then Les Miles created a lot of problems underneath him and and kind of set this tone of don't get caught. And that's just disgusting. Protect the brand at all costs, especially if we are winning. That's it. That's what it is. And that is more important than the health and safety of the people on our campus. And in this particular case, women. And I I don't know why it's the same thing with like the racial discussion of the summertime where people were finally like, Oh, wait a second. Maybe there are some systemic racial issues in our country. And and black people are like, yeah, dude, (laughs) like, and I think it's the same thing. There has to be nuance. There has to be a a difference between Les Miles' behavior and Darius Geis' behavior, right? Like there has to be, we have to be able to differentiate between those two things. But it starts with a very simple core philosophy of are we going to do the right thing and protect the people on our campus over and above the priorities of winning football games? And, and, And until there is some level of transparent accountability in college football, the Art Briles, Penn State, LSU thing is just going to keep happening. Yep. Don't treat it as a checkbox anymore. Don't treat it as a checkbox to get to just to mark something off your list to make sure, Hey, don't get caught, you know, make sure that this is what we look like. That's what we appear to be. Your tr- people are treating it like a checkbox to pass a test so they can get on the field. Well, it the, needs pun- to the punishment, the punishment that LSU doled out to the people in their facilities is a fucking joke. So uh, I mean, it's 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 just an absolute joke, and no one's going to learn from anything if you, if you just a thirty day suspension. Like, what are we talking about here? Like, it's just anyway. All right, so I want to talk football. Let's talk football. I just, okay. it's a really yeah. We had to issue. talk about it. We we can't not talk about it, guys. Like at LSU, I'm not sure. Like, like I've come around on this. I'm not sure Coach O deserves his job right now. I, I'm not sure. I don't know 100, percent but like, if he got fired, I wouldn't be pissed. <laughs> like, and I like the guy. I used to root for the guy, and now it's. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, and the Les Miles stuff, color me shocked, boys and girls. I've been around Les Miles. The guy's weird. Okay. He's always been weird. And it's not surprising at all that he, that this kind of stuff came out about Les Miles. So, anyway, I have a hard time even reading it anymore, which is like avoidance is not the right methodology either. But I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It's freaking exhausting. It's like, let's just, you know, whatever. I don't blame you. Not whatever about the situation, but. Let's move on. Right. We got to move on. All right. So we're going to go team by team before we get to Cole Kubelik, who is, does a fantastic job breaking down all these teams, all these rosters, strengths and weaknesses. He does an amazing job. You'll hear that interview coming up a little bit later on, but let's kind of roll through the West with sort of our biggest thing that we're studying, that we're focused on, that we're intrigued by with, with any of these teams. It can be anything. It can be a strength. It can be a weakness. It can be a position battle. It can be anything. So we'll just roll through all seven of these teams like we did with the East. So go check out last week's episode. If you're in on the East, so, uh, if yeah, because wanna... these will be, ever, not, they're not evergreen, obviously, but like until we really get to see, yeah. have a little bit more of our eyes on what's actually happening and get towards the, the beginning yep. of the season, these are, you know, if you miss a, if you miss last week, these are still good. Plus, we've got like, this is our heavy football section of the spring podcast schedule. We've got some like 
funny stuff coming for you guys. So just stay tuned. Uh, all right, let, let's go Bama. And I'm going to lay out an interesting. That was good. Quote. Alphabetical order. <laughs> we did right. it this week. Yeah. And in the right division, um, Alabama's in the West. So here, yeah. here's the thing with me. I, there's, there's a lot of questions about the coaching staff. There are two new NFL former head coaches that have been to the playoffs on this coaching staff now and Bill O'Brien and Doug Marone, a lot of new pieces on offense. I think that's an easy question to talk about. And, and it may be something you're interested in. I'm actually going to go sort of a different direction with this team. There's a lot of pieces coming back on defense. They're missing Moses, Sertan, and Bearmore. But my, my, my thought about Alabama is this defense is returning a lot and could be better than we've seen at Alabama in a while. And my thought process is on this. If their defense is, in fact, going to take a, a bigger step forward and be more like Georgia, more like some of the better defenses in the country, I don't know how you beat Alabama. I'm I'm silently shaking my head and no. I mean, last year I didn't think they would lose and they didn't. Their defense is going to get better. No. You I you, how I don't know who I don't know who could do it because there are other teams that are definitely on the up and up if you, as you look at Georgia and A&M, but you know, they're still filling in holes too and trying to readjust and figure things out and even though the bones are good and they're on the right track you know, they still have to kind of put new things in place just to at least fill in gaps. And if Alabama is going to get better, that I think the gap will continue to widen. I mean, there's plenty of questions about, like, they're losing Mac Jones, they're losing Devontae Smith, they're losing Najee Harris, they're losing a bunch of star offensive linemen, they've replaced a bunch mm -hmm. of offensive coaches. Those are easy questions to ask. And a normal football program, those would be the questions we'd be asking. I, I'm just sort of like, I think, like, Mechie's the number one receiver. Okay, I'm not worried about it. And the reason I asked this about Alabama's defense is because like the perception of Alabama's defense is that it's not as good as it used to be, right? Like it's not as good as 2011, 2012, 2013, and it's not. But if their defense actually takes a big step forward this year, which it mm -hmm. looks like it could on paper, the offense doesn't have to be all that special the way it's been the last four or five years. They're still going to be unbeatable. And so I, that's, that's sort of what I'm looking like. I look at this. I look at Clemson the same way. Clemson has, they had three defensive linemen as freshmen starting five stars in the Ohio state game. If those guys come back on our studly, I'm not worried about the the guys making replacements on offense for Clemson. I think the defense, if they take a step forward, it's about it's Bama Clemson again. And we've talked about this a couple of times, but just when you're putting getting new things into place on defense, especially if you're talking about if you're, whether you're talking about the line or not, just it, those things for some reason seem to click earlier in the season. And if they just have that sturdy you know, even better defense in place with that is going to continue to get better over the course of the entire season. Um, and it's not going to be a 10 game SEC only schedule. And there's going to be some breaks. There's going to be bye weeks. We hope um, like a more normal, more normal situation by the end of the year, they're just going to be insane. I Mine's small. I'm just interested to see with Steve Sarkeesian leaving, like what, if what, the impact of that really is and just are we going to see some stylistic changes or is it really more of a Bama thing at this point and I know that as an OC or a defensive coordinator you're definitely bringing in stuff that's your own for sure I'm not discrediting that but it'll be interesting to see if you know how much this if the style really changes with the loss of him or if they kind of just have their puzzle and can plug in capable people yeah I think that's a very fair question especially with the new new everything uh, new quarterback you know new new backfield new receivers new line whatever i think it's a totally fair question the, this is the problem with alabama 
It's a great question. But the answer to that question is a guy who won his division in the NFL like three times. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's why it's like, uh, doesn't even matter. It feels like a drag and drop scenario. That's r- me really simplifying it. And Nick Saban will probably punch me if he heard me say that because it's like this, there's nothing drag and drop about what they're doing. It's hard work all the time, ton yeah. of recruiting, but it feels like in a very dumbed down way to the outside community, it feels like you're just like, I'm picturing that like claw machine that just like the drag and drop of like a toy. It's just like <laughs> next. And then that's the claw, not really- the claw. It's a toy story toy reference story, for yeah. those who have children. Um, <laughs> those are like my favorite part of the, my, my favorite part of all the toy story movies are those little green aliens, the claw, my favorite part. Uh, I won't do that again. Um, all right. Arkansas. I, I can ask a question here, but I feel like I should just give you my question and you can have two questions. Oh, I only need one. <laughs> And that is with the fall and crumbling that we're seeing with the Royal family, will they just give up on what's going on in Britain? And let's just go ahead and crown Sam Pittman as the King that he really is. You know, things are falling apart in the world. Honestly of the world at this point, it doesn't (laughs) matter. He is, he's perfect. He can do no wrong. Just where are we on getting Sam Pittman closer to wearing a crown. Okay. I, I did not, I, that, I did not expect you to go there, but I should have. Yeah. How could, I mean, how could we get him to wear a crown? Could we get him to just, he knows he's too humble. He's too humble, but we need to like, see if they'll just like make him like the Duke of Sussex or something. And it doesn't really matter. You didn't have to wear a crown, but just have a title. That's even more, you know, like the, grabbing like, than head coach of Arkansas football. What, what's like, better, a prince or I don't watch Bridgerton um, or the Crown. So which better, a duke or a prince? What's better? Like isn't it better know. to be a prince, like Prince Harry versus the probably? Duke of but then that means there's yeah. W- would you rather be the Duke of Northwest Arkansas or the Prince of NWA? Which one? <laughs> I think King, King of NWA. Yeah, King of the Pigs. King of the Pigs. King of the Pigs. Episode title. Uh, all right. So <laughs> do you have any questions about the football team or are they just? No, no, no. You, you, why don't you ask yours and then I'll ask my other one. So the quarterback situation is, is a question. Felipe Franks was in control. And that's a, I think because they got lucky with the transfer, he covered up a lot of personnel issues. They've got some talented weapons that they can throw the football to. So, and I like, and I love the fact that they kept the coaching staff intact with Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom. So, the question I have, I try not to go quarterback every time. I'm going to do it a couple of times in the West here because it's hard not to be the most important thing sometimes. But for Arkansas, it's the, the thing I care the most about is who's in charge of the offense. What does it look like? And I, I, I trust Kendall Bryles to put people in a position to make plays and, and we'll see what happens. So it's all about the quarterback for me. I mean, largely, I mean, largely my question is the same because I do think Felipe Franks and having all of that experience and having, you know, seen other, having played at Florida and just kind of, you know, seeing and that, having that experience, not only in the East, but then in the West, I think he, although there were some, some times where you kind of questioned decisions that he made at the quarterback position, he all in all was had a really, really strong and successful season for them. So just is that gap, how easy is that gap going to be to fill for 
for KJ Jefferson. But I, and I think that just having two people that were competing for that spot um, going into this season is, is healthy because I think that the bones of Arkansas are, are pretty good. So, I mean, it's similar, just where are we going to net out on that front? And is it going to take a while for whoever is in that position to kind of find their rhythm and be able to command the offense the way they need to? Yeah. 34 sacks allowed last year on the offensive line. That's a big question as Mm -hmm. well. Like a lot of these teams in the West though, at the bottom, in particular, Arkansas and Mississippi state, it's just, where, where do you find W's, man? It's just, this, it's life is hard in the SEC West when you're on the bottom. Uh, Auburn Tigers. Um, I, listen, I am fascinated by the blend, and I actually asked Cole Kubelik about this later on. I am fascinated by the blend of the coaching staffs. Who's really in charge of the offense? How does Mike Bobo's scheme work with Brian Harson's scheme? How does Bo Nix work into those schemes? I'm fascinated. Every coach's first job when they first get to a, a, a program is to blend their scheme with the personnel mm-hmm. and i you've got a former head coach running your defense you got a former head coach and a former coordinator running your offense you're a first-time head coach in the sec i am fascinated by the harson bobo mason bo Nix co- combination I, I think Derek mason's going to do a pretty good job because he's probably never had the talent he's going to have like he didn't have this kind of talent at stanford so he's probably, got, he's probably got better players than he's ever had on defense. So I think it's going to be good. It's about the offensive schematic blend. I want to see what that looks like. I think you're right about Derek Mason being successful there. And the depth here, as you just pointed out, is and just the amount of talent is going to be uh, huge, probably compared to what he's been working with. I mean, he's had these really, really standout guys like Juwan Williams and then uh, Richard Sherman at Stanford, these guys that probably pulled even more weight than it pulled a ton of weight on defense, although all components matter. But that that is a really, really interesting thing that you bring up is how these are going from people that served as head coaches and how blendable are you now? Can Is it going to be easy to blend or will it be refreshing? Because they only have to worry about, you know, a little bit, a smaller portion of everything that's going on. So I agree that that'll be really interesting to see. I'm interested to see if getting rid of Gus and this, all this coaching change will temporarily, even if it's not season long, but just few games kind of temporarily widen that gap. Cause we know that all they're trying to do is catch up to Alabama. There's no secret about it. So do you have enough patience to not see those immediate results? Because this blending is going to be probably pretty challenging. I don't think it's going to be a challenge that lasts all season. I think they'll figure it out because of they have really, you know, they have very smart people in, in place. It's, but figuring out how that all works together I mean, maybe it shows up for a little bit, maybe three or four games. They don't win by as much as we think they should or whatever, but I don't think it's going to be a season long setback. Yeah. I, offensive line, defensive line. What does it look like against teams that have quote unquote lesser talent, but, a, but are further along in the development process? Like Mississippi state and Ole Miss and Arkansas are in year two of their coaches. So they're further along, but Auburn has better players than all of them. So what, what, you know, how does Auburn compete against teams that they maybe should beat, but maybe the other team is further along. That's my, that's sort of my question. That's Mm -hmm. a coach. That's the coaching staff's job is to take that talent and get the most out of it. So that's what I'm interested in uh, with Auburn. All right. LSU. We already talked about all the off the field stuff Um, on the field. Where are you going here, Aaron? You can coaching staff, quarterback, (laughs) like lines, lines of scrimmage. Where are you going here? Mine is less technical for LSU 
can the team and staff grow up and get it together overnight or in an off season? There are behavioral issues, leadership issues with the team and what they were doing during COVID and their direction. And is, you know, are the upperclassmen able to kind of take command? Are they, because it does take inside team leadership as well as a coaching staff that's setting a good example. That doesn't really seem like it's happening. And then you also lacked guys that were taking those leader positions leadership positions inside the team as upperclassmen and there's behavioral issues and people are being irresponsible. And I'm just wondering, this is like preteen program to me right now, maybe not in terms of talent, but in terms of behavior and talent matters a ton, but your habits and your decision-making abilities off outside of the lines of the football field also do. So mine is general, just can this whole thing grow up and figure it out before we start in the fall? Yeah, it's, it does feel like that if there's a lot of questions that are rational to ask about the coaching staff, can you recreate two years ago under coach? O? Mm -hmm. you've got a quarterback battle. that's wide open, but some talented guys, LSU is very talented. It's not about, yeah, no, it's no, not about, yeah, no, it's not about the personnel ands or buts. It will be interesting. Like if this thing hangs over the program and everyone's affected by it, like, I, again, I, I wrote an art, I read an article, I think it was USA today where, you know, I knew, I knew a lot of the authors and they were all like, how is this person? How are these people sleeping at night? <laughs> you know, it's like, how much does this affect the kid on the field that maybe didn't do anything wrong? Right. Like how much does it affect, you know, the offensive linemen who haven't done anything wrong? Like, like again, there's still lots of good people at LSU. So it, it's, it's just, it's about how does this whole cultural thing affect you? Now I will say this on the football field, just on from a mm -hmm. tactical standpoint, they're bringing a lot of guys back on the offensive line and the defensive line. And I really do believe like if they can, if those two positions are figured out this spring and summer, I I'm sort of just not worried about what'll take place at quarterback or at skill position or at linebacker. Like those are positions that LSU just, has guys, finds guys, develops guys, always is is good at. If they're really good on the offensive line and defensive line, LSU bounces back, and they have a big bounce back. I'm fascinated by the line of scrimmage with LSU. So that would be my answer for LSU in sort of like a purely football standpoint. Mm -hmm. Ob obviously, it's hard to look past, like, how much does this sexual assault scandal hang over your program question? Like, that's it's hard not have that be the main question. The energy around it. for it, there it, It's a difference between feeling stability and feeling chaos, and – talent will go a long way, but you, there needs to be a little bit more of a stable environment there. And then I'm, I'm with you on the question about the lines of scrimmage. And then they do get to keep, you know, that better, one of the better combos in terms of um, like cornerback pairings, like that they have going on. So I, with Derek Sting, I, I mean, they, they've just got, they've got the weapons in place. If they can figure out the chaos, I think we're going to see a much better LSU team. Yeah, I, I definitely think they're better. It's to me, it's about it's all about the line of scrimmage, and mm -hmm. I, I can't wait to see what they look like in those positions. All right, let's get to old Mississippi. <laughs> I guess the, I'll, I'll just I'll go first here. Can they get a stop? Can they stop anybody at any point during any game? Can you get a stop? Because ain't nobody going to stop them. The question is, can they get a stop, or they're going to beat the bad teams? 41-38, they're going to lose to the good teams 54-41, but they're scoring 41 every time. This is a related, not totally related question, but this, and it's it's bigger than just this upcoming season, is can Ole Miss figure out how to widen the gap 
win close so that they can win. I mean, they won this last year. I mean, there were some bad calls and they won on, you know, won or lost in like fluke on fluke things, but just get the gap wide enough and have enough just consistency to not play so closely in every game. Because even when they're widely more talented than another team, just like you said, if they, you know, lose a game, it's 38, 41. It's like, but you should, the, the spread was much bigger than that. Like, why can't you just, and this is a year after year thing. And I noticed it specifically because I'm whatever at every Vanderbilt game. And I'm like, we shouldn't be playing them this close this year, but it just seems like they're always playing to their competition, both in a good way and a bad way. But in terms of playing up to competition that is on paper better, and then only beating the teams that they should be beating by set two touchdowns by three points and just can we white can you widen the gap early in the game and keep it wide so that you're not losing or winning on fluke things yeah i i i, I agree <laughs> like a missed like a missed extra point um yeah just yeah, like the yeah. coaching call is terrible and it, there were bad coaching calls but it's like but we we all think there's plenty of opportunities for you guys to be up more than three at that point yeah, hundred percent. They always so, play close. They get, do. Get a stop, Ole Miss. Just anybody. Get a stop at any point, one time during a game. And if you get one, I feel like if you force a point, a punt, you can win that game because no one's going to stop that offense. Yep. So, who plays on your defense? That is my question for the old Mississippi Rebels. How old the Rebels are? Let's go to Stark Vegas, the beautiful <laughs> metropolis, the booming metropolitan area that is Stark Vegas. First time I ever tried Boone's Farm, I was visiting a friend in Starkville. And she's like, we got to go get wine. I went to Walmart and came back with Boone's Farm. I was like, ah, I think I'm going to make night, this a two-day trip. How did the night it end? Was well, it was fine. But then you feel terrible because you just drank sugar water with like just yeah. straight alcohol in it. But isn't that like, like every mixed drink at every bar not named Jasper's? <laughs> Subtle plug. Um, Jasper's. Maybe Jasper's. It, well, yeah, th this is you can't even compare Walmart and Starkville to Jasper's. So I'm not even going to entertain that conversation because that's, that's just fair. offensive to that's Jasper's. Uh, Stark, Starkville, Mississippi, Miss, Mike Leach, you're number two. They got a lot of people coming back. Will Rogers, a mm -hmm. quarterback. You know, what does the air raid look like in year two? Uh, to me, it's about development. And again, I asked Cole Kublik about this too. I, I want to, they have eight starters back on offense, eight starters back on defense. And I just think there's a chance that there's actual growth with Mississippi State. And they may be the worst team in the West, but they're probably better than Tennessee, Vanderbilt, South Carolina. And so, like, they have a chance to make a bowl game if things develop. I, I want to know how how does this staff develop talent? And that that's my big question about Mississippi State is you got all the guys. Like, let's see how you right. can – how much better can you make them? And <laughs> jetpacking off of that – it's good that their bones are good and they have returners because as we know, this is an unconventional sec type offense under Mike Leach. And I think that them having the bones in place and having stability in terms of returners coming back will give them more time to really develop this specific and very special style of offense that Mike Leach is employing because it's not necessarily easy to master and it takes a lot of creativity. It takes a, a large playbook and having those returners is going to get put them 
and I have a lot of faith in Will Rogers too, but it's going to put them in a position where they can actually really see how far this Mike Leach style offense can get them because they, they do have that returning core. So it'll be, it'll kind of show us like, can this shit really work? Maybe we'll see. All right, let's get to Texas A&M in the West before we get to Cole Kubelik here in just a few minutes. And listen, I'm fascinated by these Aggies because they are really, really good on defense. Not a lot of questions there. They've got some really dynamic skill weapons. I, I, I said I didn't like making this all about the quarterback every time, Aaron, because it's just the easy thing to do. Oh, it's all about the quarterback, all about the quarterback. Right. And it, and it is the most dramatic position. At, but for, for Texas A&M, it's a very complicated offense, and it really is about the quarterback for me. Like If they get productivity, consistency, and accuracy – this A&M team could challenge Alabama to win the division. They could win the SEC. They've been recruiting at such an elite level. It's a very, very dangerous Texas A&M team, but they've got to have the right trigger man. And Kellen Mond, even with this season that they had last year and what they were able to do and how close they were to making the playoff, I mean, you know, obviously they would argue that they should have, although a lot of other people that are not A&M fans would have had their back on that. Um, but they were they were just on that border. And this is with Kellen Mond, who obviously had a ton of talent, but there were a lot of questions with him too about, you know, accuracy, just like you brought up and, you know, kind of missing opportunities um, from on, offensively because of decisions that were being made at the quarterback position. My question, and, and we will talk to Cole about this some, is just, or you and I have before too, is what is that quarterback I'm curious of what the quarterback battle does and that healthy competition does in the off season. And, you know, are there a lot of cost benefits to trying to figure that out in the off season? And does it keep them from being able to make other decisions offensively? Do they really figure out what the best approach is there? But I think in terms of, I'm just not worried about them. I'm more excited to watch them than worried about their ability to, yeah. Um, you know, pull off a, a cool and and fun to watch and successful offense. So it's more of one of those you're not not concerned for me as much as like this could be really fun. I'm I'm wondering what they can do. They do have to. They do get Alabama at home, which is you know, if anyone can beat Alabama, it would be easier to do in your own stadium. They have to take on Ole Miss and LSU on the road. So those will be two challenging. Um, challenging scenarios to be in. I mean, Death Valley with back at full capacity or close. Um, if we get there, we'll be. It's always tough, but I think they're gonna they're gonna be fun to watch. Yeah, I, I think they will be too. Look at you breaking down home road splits in the SEC in the middle of March. I like it. Wow, I like it. She can't hold her back. I like it. It was very Cole Kubelik of you, actually. It's, it's uh, was, no one is Cole Kubelik. He is. <laughs> he was he like. Just spouting stuff off, and I was like, "Damn, yeah, that's like a walking encyclopedia." Yep, he knows everything there is to know, and we're excited to have him on. So uh, that was our sort of one big thing for every team in the SEC West that we're watching this spring, of course, uh, as well as some some LSU talk. We had to get that in there, though. Sorry, we had to rant about some stuff there on the front end of the show, but had to be done, folks. Had to we're be normally done. fun though, so like, yeah. give us a pass. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Try to be. All right, well, that was our breakdown. Of course, uh, when we come back. Here on Fringe Element, you'll hear our conversation with the SEC Network's Cole Kubelik. Fringe Element is brought to you by... Jaspers. Jaspers, there you go. Your your elevated neighborhood watering hole. In fact, Aaron (laughs) went watering on Monday. This week, in fact. 
I did. I sat it, at the bar. Great food. Um, did did anyone throw any spitballs at you or pepper airplanes or anything? I was. I actually took someone with me. I didn't know if I was going to admit that. Oh. But here, well, I, you, here you, I go. You just did. So does that mean it's official? No. Okay. Absolutely not. <laughs> does this person listen to the podcast? We're about to find out. <laughs> Uh, how many appetizers did? How many shareables did you order as a as a as a as a tandem? As a actually, team? I got the sweet potato fries again. <laughs> Dude, is that not amazing? God, they're oh. so good. And that, like, I always get them to bring out. Do they automatically bring out that avocado like crema, or is that just because I always ask for it? I think it's because you ask for it. You're spe- or maybe they just know you're special. They already know your order because that's what Jasper's does. They pay close attention to their clientele. They yeah, cater, Jen knows they cater her to stuff. your every need. Jen with two ends is on it. She knows what I like. I can't decide on a drink. And she's like, you want a margarita? Just get one. But they had the wine flight on Monday. And it was, I, I just, I, I was in heaven because I got to try four different wines. I got the barbecue fries. And then I got, um, hold on, Braden. Maybe you've had it. I'm going to figure out what it's called. The steak dish with that, whatever, like, I don't know all the terminology. It's that potato patty on the side with like the egg that's been reduced. Whoa, on it. these are all very was, complicated adjectives. I think it <laughs> sounds it amazing, have, though. Th- I'm going to feel really dumb right now because I actually think retrospectively, maybe it was just called steak and eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually what it's called. <laughs> I'm like, I cannot think of the name, but it was steak with eggs and potato. It was delicious. So. so join Jasper's for the daily specials, not just the elevated menu and the free parking and all the free space to all the awesome space to space out and Lots of space I'm using here on the, that's a lot of words. that Such I've said. spaced out space they have in that space. Yes, exactly. Um, join us for daily specials at Jasper's 6 p.m. to close almost every single day. Almost. Of course, happy hours four to six every single day and during Nashville Predators games. So go check that out. Um, mm-hmm. the, here's their weekly rundown, though. Who says Mondays have to be boring? Question mark. Or that Wednesdays are only halfway through the work week. This is what it says on the website, Aaron. Okay. At Jasper's, we strive to make every day a party in some form or fashion. So whether you're a burger and a beer guy or a rosé connoisseur, we've got a little something for everyone with our daily specials. Hang on, Jasper's. I am both of those things. Okay? You're a rosé connoisseur? I have no problem. Well, maybe not connoisseur. But I have no problem drinking rosé. So Mondays, flight night, as you said, build your own Wine or beer flight, 10 bucks. Tuesdays, taps and flats, which is right in my alley because I eat, I love the flatbreads. And you get a beer, flat, a $15 flatbread and a beer for $10. It's an incredible deal. On Wednesdays, which is when I take my wife to Jasper's, don't, mm-hmm. tell, her, don't tell her that this is why I do this, but I take her on Wednesdays because bubbles and rosé, $5 glasses, 6 p.m. to close. Thursdays, burgers and beer. You get that great Jasper's dog, that great Jasper's burger, and a beer for 10 bucks. Two for ones on Sunday. There's a deal every single day almost mm-hmm. at Jasper's. So there you go. And yes, why can I not be a bearded iris guy and also a little uh, you know, a little bubbling rose as well? Well, I will say also with the taps and flats, and we can clarify this, but so it it specifically says draft beer on Thursdays, but they do have two cocktails on tap. So Oh, flatbread could be so you're a trying to, or you're, a beer. So you're trying to like on semantics here, get them to give you a margarita on Tuesdays is what you're saying. <laughs> no. Jaspers. Maybe. <laughs> no, I'm I, not. I don't know. I'm going to ask Jen with two ends when I go back in there. 
They are not the grammar police, but it does say anything on tap. It says anything on tap. I think on, they did it on purpose. They make their own so stuff that, and put it on tap. So. so you could get a gold standard and a flatbread maybe. I think we should test this next Tuesday. Yeah, we'll test it. By the way, great place to watch the SEC tournament this weekend. Great place to watch the NCAA tournament kind of coming up over the next couple of weeks. I used to go in college at like 11 a.m. and watch until like midnight. I, I'm hopeful that I can do that at some point this over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I doubt it, um, but we'll see. And yep. Jasper's is the place to go, man. Free parking, lots of space to, to space out in that space that they've got there. So well, it's the space to be. <laughs> this is only day two. <laughs> Day Space two between. of quarantine for you. Oh, Actually, God, are you talking about that on here? It's not good. I'm not talking about it, but thank you. It's okay. Oops. It's okay. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter. You'll know what I'm talking about. We had He's glitter. Well. <laughs> we had we had glitter gate on on uh, day one of quarantine. Glitter is the herpes of the craft world. I'm just. Oh, there's a service that you can send a card if you really really hate someone. Have we already talked about this? And you open it and glitter it falls everywhere. Glitter. I have not heard about this, but I, I understand know, it now. Oh, guys hate glitter. I mean, everybody, I hate glitter no, because I, it gets everywhere, but guys really hate glitter. It, it doesn't bother me. The, the difference is now that everything is just, that's just our decor now. Like, yeah. I vacuumed up all the big piles of glitter. If you go to my Twitter account, you'll see what I'm talking about. But my two my two and four-year-old decided to have a glitter party upstairs and emptied every single bottle of glitter on the floor and then like wiped it everywhere. It's <laughs> really ridiculous. And so we vacuumed it all up pretty easily. Like we got every big chunk of it vacuumed up pretty, pretty quickly. The problem is, is that now it's, there's just sort of our, it's just our style. Now everything just has a little sparkle to it. The rugs have a little sparkle. The furniture's got a little sparkle, the clothing, our beds, the couch, everything's just got a little bling to it. Now it's pretty ridiculous. I'm happy for you. It's like the spice of life is two, two girls under the age of five. If, if lucky you are, man. <laughs> don't talk about my wife that way. If you are, <laughs> if you are at home with your two daughters and quarantined because they can't be at school or daycare, and then you get out of quarantine, go to Jasper's <laughs> because that's what I'm going to do probably next Saturday or Sunday when I'm Let's, allowed. When I'm allowed, are you going to invite me? I'll come meet you invited. up there and make sure that you're. <laughs> what like assess your mental health to see if we should find seek ser more serious measures because you're on day two and you've already had glitter gate that's and that's before i start drinking assess assess my mental health before i start drinking and that's on fatherhood <sighs> four to six p.m four to six p.m happy hour every day monday through friday at jasper's great menu great bar god i wish i could go to jasper's right now i can i'll tell you how it is Cole, thank you for joining us, man. We do appreciate it. Welcome to the SEC West preview. I'm sure you're you're honored to be here on on the show with us today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Glad to be with you guys. <laughs> um, all right, so let's start with Bama. I guess whatever. Uh, they're pretty darn good at football. I think everybody's asking a lot of questions about the offense, and and sure they've lost a lot of pieces. My question is actually, if their defense can improve and actually be a little bit closer to what we've seen from Bama in the past. I think that's what makes this team almost impossible to stop. I mean, how do you see the offense-defense balance for Alabama this offseason? I think the defense is, is probably going to have to be a little bit better because it's, it's impossible to believe that that offense can, can move and operate at the rate that it did a season ago, week in, week out. Um, 
I, I think the offense still has a chance to be high powered. You, you got a, a boatload of running backs, any of which I think could be fine. Bryce Young brings a little bit more dual threat to the quarterback position. If he wins it, he still has to go out and win it. I understand that. I get that. Large chunk of the offensive line is going to be back, led by Evan Neal at right guard. I think Billingsley's a guy tight end that's going to have a breakout year for Alabama. They'll be able to flex him around, use him in different ways. Mechie will be the number one receiver. He'll have more targets. I think he can handle that. I think he'll be as good as there is in the SEC. Defensively, I think the real question is, can that defensive line stay healthy? You know, when, when DJ Dale's been healthy, he's been pretty good. We, we haven't seen LeBron Ray consistently in games for a year and a half, two years now. Um, he can be one of those guys for this defense. Uh, you know, I think Ishmael Softster is another guy who could really be one of those traditional Alabama defensive linemen that we've seen. Will Anderson did some great things for that defense a year ago just as a freshman. I think he's going to be somebody who adds a little bit more pass rush than what they're used to. Um, you know, linebacker's been an issue for the last few years, and I think finally they bring some real depth back at that position. Uh, you know, Christopher Allen played some good football at the end of last year. You had a couple of guys who were forced into action that have played well as of late. So I, I think, yes, you lose a couple of guys. You're going to – the most important position might be safety because I, I haven't really seen the next guy be able to sort of take over games at that spot. I don't think corners ever really going to be a huge problem in Alabama. They recruit too well there. They know what they are there. If safety and Mike linebacker, which I would anticipate somebody's going to move over to that spot, are okay, then that defense has a chance to be pretty good. And then the offense just doesn't have to do as much of the heavy lifting. Well, as we talk about LSU, um, you know, they had some troubles on defense last year. We know that and they have a new, you know, defensive coordinator in there that will hopefully help them turn things around. But in terms of offense with these guys vying for the quarterback position, they obviously have some spots they need to fill in receiving wise. And then they had some struggles, you know, making sure that the offensive, the offensive line is where they need to be. What do you think is the most important part of, of LSU kind of finding their footing on offense? Uh, offensively? I mean, obviously, it's deciding the quarterback battle first and foremost. I think people forget that, you know, your your original returning starter is going to be back next year. But Max Johnson is the guy that I think gets it. I was really impressed with his pocket presence. He's a big guy. Yeah, he can, He's actually more mobile and athletic, I think, that people give him credit for. Super accurate down the field. Not afraid to take chances. Um, plenty strong enough arm. And he'll have a ton of weapons. I mean, Keep in mind, Keyshawn Boutte has more receiving yards in an SEC game than any receiver in conference history ever in a single game. Um, you know, I, I thought Dre Jenkins was really getting off to a good start late last year. I think he could be a big-time wide receiver. Yes, you lose Eric Gilbert at tight end, um, but the majority of that offensive line is back, and I think Ed Ingram will be one of the better guards in the SEC. I mean, Deculus feels like he's been starting to tackle for eight years now. Um, you get Liam Eikenberg, Liam Shannon back at center, uh, the Harvard transfer, so – that group should be improved and should be much better. Um, I, I think this really comes down to what's the fit with the new offensive staff. I, I think the weapons are going to be fine. Are, are they super dynamic at tailback? No, maybe not. And I would like for there to be one guy as opposed to having to choose between three guys. But I think overall, the offense is in pretty good hands from a talent and experience perspective. So if there's one spot, I would say probably find the guy at tailback and then just really the fit with the new coaching staff. It, Cole, is it Texas A&M is clearly one of the quote unquote contenders this this year. Jimbo Fisher's offense is really complicated. Is, is there something else other than quarterback I should be asking you about with Texas A&M? Because it really just feels like it comes down to how good is the quarterback going to be, and who do they find to to sort of replace a guy who started like a billion games? 
Yeah, I mean, Calzada, Haynes King, I, th- I think you're, you're going to be okay with either one of those guys. They're a little bit different. I think Haynes is a little more athletic. Um, he probably give you a guy that moves around a little bit more. Um, tight end is going to be in great shape. You know, Cup comes back from his injury. Obviously, you have one of the best in the SEC last year, Jalen Weidermeyer. Spiller is – I mean, the, the tailback position is really cool with Denia Smith, A-Chain, and Spiller. It's a couple of those guys you can move around, do different things with. They'll be creative with them. Um, I think it's it's also being dynamic at wide receiver. Um, you, know, you had a couple of your big-time wide receivers that opted out, and then your next best wide receiver the first few games gets injured, and now it's kind of like, who is that guy going to be? And they've recruited well there, but we just haven't seen them prove themselves over the course of, you know, six, seven, eight weeks at a time. So I think finding guys who can create big plays at wide receiver would be the next task after quarterback. You know, a lot of people give you that the offensive line is going to be very different. It will be, but, you know, Kenyon Green may move out to tackle. I think they're going to try him there in the spring. If he stays at guard, Layden Robinson, who came in in the South Carolina game, is, I think those two would be maybe the best com- guard combination in the SEC uh, based on what I've already seen out of Layden. He looks like he's going to be fantastic. So I think it's got to be just somebody who can take the top off outside at wide receiver and can create explosive plays out there. Everything else should be fine. And I agree. Um, I think right now A&M is, is the contender to Alabama in the West. I mean, I have, I would probably have A&M in my top six, top eight in, in all of college football heading into this season. As we get to Ole Miss, and they have, you know, some spots, some things to figure out on offense, but they're getting the majority of their offense back. But we all know they had gaping holes and serious issues on on defense last year, giving up 38 points against some extreme number of points per game. Um, And they could potentially be a top 25 team if they can figure that out. What's that going to look like for them, Cole, just the defense as a whole? Because there are, I mean, there are a slew of issues that we saw there last year. I, I don't I don't really see any gigantic fixes uh, from last year to this year on that side of the ball. Um, you, you know, you get Sam Williams back, who's a guy that I think can help, and and somebody who I thought was their their best playmaker a season ago. A little bit more experience, obviously, a year with the coaching staff could help. But I think this is a team that if they're going to be past six or seven wins, it's going to be very similar to what it was last year. They're outscoring opponents. They're utilizing pace and tempo on offense. They're wearing you down that way. And and they just got to go out there and basically play old school Big 12 football and try to have more points than you or maybe have the last possession of the game. I, there's nothing that really indicates to me from last year to this year that it's going to be totally different on that side of the football. Otis Reese came back late. He was the guy that made some plays. You saw how versatile he could be lining up in different places, doing different things. Having him for an entire season is, is going to help in an offseason, but I don't know if it's enough to say, you know, they go down to being in the top half of defenses in the SEC. I just – I think there there's too much absent. There are too many vacancies and too many issues with what they have from a personnel standpoint to be able to fix that much that best. So let's move on to the Plains. And what I find interesting, I, I love the Brian Heisen, Harson hire. I think people are ripping off his stuff all across the country. Very innovative coach on offense builds from the outside in with the trench warfare at Boise state. My question is Derek Mason and Mike Bobo, how how well do all three of those guys schemes work together and how well do they all work with the personnel? And that's obviously your first job as a, as a new coaching staff. So how, how do you see all of that meshing with the personnel at Auburn and how quickly do you think that that actually can, can give some rewards for Auburn fans? I think it's kind of good news, bad news on offense. Um, 
you can go back and forth in this. It's a bit of a ping pong battle with the staff and the personnel, the scheme and the players. You know, I'll start with Tank Bigsby, who I think is one of the best returning backs in the nation. Uh, Brian Harson wants to be a guy who runs the ball first, heavy play action. Then you get your shot plays. Another advantage that they'll have is stretch play is kind of his go-to. That's like the foundation of their run game and his offense, and you'll get counters off that. Well, teaching guys to pin and pull and teaching guys to full zone block, it doesn't really matter how talented you are. That's technique. That's fundamental-based. That's effort-based. So I think that they can they can work around not having great offensive linemen or a great offensive line, which I, I can't imagine that they will have this year. Um the bad part about that is you got a quarterback that, that does not appear to be overly coachable and things will be different. The, 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 the verbiage will be different. The checks will be different. The formations will be different. The motions will be different. It's all going to be different. So Bo Nix is going to have to be very coachable this off season to be successful in this system. And I don't think it'll be Harson's system. I think it will be a mix between what we've seen from Brian Harson in the past and what we've seen from Mike Bobo in the past. Uh, the other thing that I like about the staff is you've got an offensive line coach as your tight end coach. You've got an offensive line coach that's been around the SEC for a long time as your actual offensive line coach. you got Kendall Simmons, who played offensive line at Auburn's won two Super Bowls on staff as well. And then you've got Harson and Bobo, who are both quarterback guys, and you bring in his former offensive coordinator from Boise, who's now on staff. So it's really a three-headed monster at each of those two positions on that coaching staff to help with the developmental process. And I think at the tight end spot, what you can do now is you can take your tackles and tight ends or you can take one side of the offensive line. You can send it with your tight end coach and they can actually get work done as opposed to just when they come over and work with the offensive line. That development's going to be big because that is the position that has to be developed first and foremost. For my opinion, is the offensive line. Next would be probably quarterback. And I would not be surprised to see Auburn go to the portal and try to grab another guy. I think Grant Loy can actually compete. People think that's crazy, but, you know, Grant put up pretty big numbers in the MAC, and he's a big physical kid with a huge arm. Every time we talked to Chad and Gus last year, they told us how much they liked him, how good of a worker he was, how good of a teammate he was. Do not be surprised to see if he pushes that thing maybe into the fall if Bo Nix is maybe not taken to the new system or not necessarily acting accordingly with what's being taught to him or coached to him. And Coach Bobo is tough to play for, man. Like he's not – he's a hard-nosed guy, and, and he's somebody who demands excellence and wants you to do it his way. So I, I think it, it, it's going to be a tough task to get everybody on the same page there. Defensively, I think uh, really one of the problems with every defense is, you know, do you have enough in the middle of your defense as a starting point? I don't love the middle of Auburn's defense right now. Um, and Derek Mason will be more three down. He's going to be multiple – but does he have the beef inside to be able to run that thing the way that he needs to? The advantage that he'll have is the athleticism at linebacker and the athleticism on the back end are going to be better than he's ever had. And is, I would say in, in top tier in the SEC. Got to find a legitimate pass rusher. They've been waiting on that for a few years. Not somebody from the interior, but somebody off the edge. You know, we've been waiting on TD Moultrie to come around for a while. Big Cat wasn't really getting it done. He's off to Central Florida. So they got to find somebody. I think Derek Hall could be a name that you see sort of as someone who, who sort of can affect the pocket off the edge, be it end outside linebacker. Um, but I think Derek Mason is a guy whose scheme can fit fine with what they have. It's just there are pieces that they need no matter what defense that you're running. They don't have the legitimate game records. They don't have the guys who can penetrate and disrupt consistently up front, which is really what you have to have no matter what scheme you're running.
with Arkansas, and you spoke about this a little bit j- just now with Auburn, but they're they're still figuring things some things out at the quarterback position. We've kind of seen you know that develop in the in the offseason, and they there's still some work to do there. But they also had some issues actually protecting the quarterback last year, and, and you know making sure their line was in a place where you know they they're putting their quarterback in a good position to be able to be successful. Do you see that as being something that Kendall Bryles and, and that system is going to be able to figure out before we we see the first game in the fall? I don't know if they'll figure it out from like a talent perspective because I don't know if they have those kind of guys yet. But what you do have is one of the best offensive line coaches in the nation as your head coach. So offensive line is going to get figured out. I mean, it's 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 going to be a point of emphasis. It's going to get extra attention. It's something that Sam is going to sort of coddle, I guess, would be the word that I would use to a certain extent to make sure that it's coming around. Um, the best news for Arkansas is the staff that you bring back. I put Kendall Browns up against anybody in the nation as a play caller. Um, I think the best thing that you saw with Felipe Franks last year was how he protected the football. And it's not going to show up in the stats. It's not going to show up in highlight reels. But there were multiple throws that could have been made that would have been made in a Florida uniform that were not attempted from Felipe Franks last year. And that was either tuck it and run it, take a sack, throw it away, try to keep a play alive, realize it's not there, get rid of it, or have it, or take a check down. He would have tried to force uh, probably a good three, four throws a game that I saw last year if he was still in a Florida uniform. So Kendall has that kind of effect. And whoever's playing quarterback, which I think is a big question, whether it's K.J. Jefferson, whoever, I mean, you got Traylon Burks back, who may be the best receiver in the SEC returning. That's obviously going to be a big help. you got a lot of guys around him that played a lot of football. Um, you, know, you, you lost your number one running back in Rakeem Boyd in the middle of the season to an injury that allowed some other guys to get meaningful reps. So I think there's some experience there. The coaching staff is back. They're good on the other side of the ball. I, I, I think the, the thing that hurts you on the other side of the ball is, is you lose Jonathan Marshall at nose guard. And I thought he was the most important player that Arkansas had on defense last year. Barry Odom agreed with me. We had him later in the year and I asked him about it. And he was like, there's no doubt 42 is the guy that makes us go. He allows us to do the things that we're able to do. When you can play three down the way that they did and have a disruptor at the nose guard position that's causing problems, that's getting pressure, that's making tackles in the backfield, that frees you up to do a whole lot of stuff. But Barry Odom has added to his staff, kept most of his staff together. Michael Shear is still going to be there with him. And, and he's as good as it gets. I mean, that's a legitimate SEC head coach that's sitting there as your defensive coordinator. So I love that staff. I like the fact that they have a lot of experience returning. They did have a couple key departures that I think are going to be difficult to replace, mainly quarterback. But, you know, they lost your wide receiver coach. That hurts a little bit. He'll be at South Carolina next year. But I, I think all things are heading in the right direction at Arkansas. They don't have the guys to just be able to play bully ball with that offensive line. The talent is not there to be able to do that. But they got some tough kids that play hard. They do what they're asked to do. And I think Kendall knows how to devise some things to work around that. Last one here, Mississippi State, and, and they might be better than three or four teams in the East potentially and maybe a last-place team in the West. We don't know. But to me, the word that comes to mind when I think about this team this offseason is development. They got eight guys back on defense, eight guys back on offense, and two, including Will Rogers at quarterback. So I guess the question is, do, do you believe that Mike Leach is capable of developing an entire roster to the point where Mississippi State is competing with Ole Miss, Auburn, LSU? Because a lot of these teams seem beatable this year. Yeah, I, I think he is because you, you look at what they did after Will took over at quarterback and he grew week in, week out. 
Then Jaquavius Marks comes in at tailback. They continue to sort of grow. And then you get like a Jaden Wally at wide receiver, and he continues to get better. They got to fix that offensive line. And I don't know if it's, if it's changing some of the technique. I think the splits need to be cut down. Uh, I thought they were a little stubborn with that last year. And that was something that maybe they could get away with in the Big 12, the Pac-12, not playing against elite defensive line talent. But now all of a sudden, you know, you got 320-pound nose guards that have some wiggle and some shake and can win those one-on-ones and can beat a double team with quickness. And they maybe haven't had to deal with that before. Um, I've talked to some other guys that run air raid around the country, and they've said that one of the first things that they've done was cut the splits down with their offensive line to avoid those certain issues. It was a consistent problem last year. It was a problem in the Auburn game when we had them. It was a problem in the Kentucky game when we had them. Those were two different ends of the spectrum of the season last year. If they can repair some of that, I think the talent on offense is there for them to be pretty good. Now, you don't worry about overall talent on defense, but you worry about leadership on defense because Errol Thompson's going to be gone. Kobe Jones is going to be gone. Marquis Spencer's going to be gone. Those were the guys on defense last year. The good news is no matter how much talent you have returning or lose, whatever is Zach Arnett runs everything, literally everything. He runs every look, every blitz, every stunt, every coverage, every defense. He runs it all. So you're going to be able to confuse. You're going to be able to disrupt. You're going to be able to cause commotion consistently because of how different he is week in and week out. And I think those kids love playing for him. Um, he's, a, he's a player's first coach. He's not a guy that sits there and takes credit as some sort of a defensive genius. He's a guy that I think he just allows his players to go have fun and play the game. And he's going to give you so many different things that you almost can't prepare for it. So I think the defense can be fine. I think he is, he is proven as a defensive coordinator, but they lose a ton of leadership on that side of the ball. And I think those three specifically sort of held everything together after we saw a couple of guys on their way out around midseason last year. So going to have to have a few guys on each side of the ball step up and take that over. Cole, always a pleasure. You are in midseason form, and we are in March, baby. So thank, <laughs> thank, you so, thank you so much, man. We do appreciate you. Thanks, man, Cole. I appreciate it. Thanks, you guys, for having me. Look forward to doing it again soon. Special thanks to Cole Kubelik, of course, from WJOX in Birmingham and, and uh, ESPN SEC Network there. Love talking to that walking depth chart in his brain. Uh, he's, just, he's fantastic and uh, just just love talking to him. So I hope you guys learned a lot about the SEC West this week on the show. I think I just learned a lot. I, I That is a lot of memory for any time of the year, but especially March. A lot of info. That just about does it for today on the show. We do appreciate everybody hanging out. Please share it, rate, review, subscribe, tell everybody. Uh, I, I would like to learn more about this uh, gentle, gentle man that took Aaron to happy hour on Friday or on Monday. I'd like to know more about this gentleman. We, I think fringe um, element needs to approve of him. Okay. I'll consider it. That's all. We got to see if we're about to figure out if he listens to the podcast, maybe that should be the test. Cause if I get like a questionable, like, uh, we haven't said anything yet, though. Like, no, we haven't. All you, no, we haven't. That you, all you said was that you ate some steak and eggs when you were with him. And then you said, is it official? And I said, absolutely not. Oh, Which, that's, that's it's true. not. You did say, you did say it's that. It's not, but that maybe he'll bring that up as a comment. It would be a good test. Maybe I'm testing him to see if he listens. Because if he doesn't, I'm like, trash him. No, it's unofficial. It's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I just, okay, the personal life talk is over. I am living vicariously through you. And special thanks to our sponsor, Jasper's. <laughs> for allowing Aaron to to <laughs> Braden's living vicariously through me and dating men. I'll tell you all about it.
<laughs> go, go to Jasper's. How do we get so off track? <laughs> uh, it's the end of the show. You know what happens at the end of the show. Let's let's do it. Let's quit while we're behind. A little. Where can where can people follow you? Aaron underscore Dugan on the gram. The Aaron Dugan on the Twitter machine. You can follow me, of course, at Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Go check out the weekly rundown. Watch a lot of basketball and hockey and all kinds of good stuff at Jasper's this weekend for the SEC tournament as well as the uh, NCAA tournament. We'll be back next week with lots more stupidity and frivolity and hilarity and depth charts and all that good stuff. For Aaron Dugan, my name is Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Pray for Braden.